most delightful memory popped into my head today uh, from when I was 20 yeah. years old. My friend uh, Greg Beatty and I, hi Greg, if you're listening, I doubt he is. Um, Greg Beatty and I were uh, bicycling around <laughs> Ireland at 20. And uh, we get down to County Kerry in the southwest uh, there, and we're about to go over the uh, Balagashine Pass, which is what passes for a mountain. Balagashine. Ta, 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 you know, Balagashine. Uh, <laughs> by the way, that word has about 17 more letters than you need to, to make a word. When you try to spell that in English or in Irish, it's about a machine. Like, oh, well, let's throw some more letters in there. We've got some extras. Oh, Seamus, I've got an extra bucket of letters over here. Shall we add it to the name of that mountain? All right, fantastic. Uh, no, so we're going over this this pass, and it's what passes for a mountain in Ireland. Ireland is not mm-hmm. a mountainous country per se, but it's a yeah. fairly, you know, it's a fairly extensive pass. So we're kind of taking a break before we go up the mountain-ish. It's not a mountain, it's a hill. It's, it, it's, it's, it's mountainy. It, it's mountain-like. It, it, it wasn't is it a- more of a crag? I think of... <laughs> I think of I think of of crags and craggy cliffs when I think of right, uh, Ireland. Right. <laughs> that's where the that's where the witches and the boo hags live up there in the crag. Um, <laughs> the boo hags. The boo hags. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, anyway, um, so we're we're resting <laughs> before we go up before we go up the uh, the um, the elevated area. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a mountain or a hill. Um, before we go up there, we're resting in this really delightful little village called Waterville, and we get lunch, we're having a couple of uh, Guinnesses. By the way, one of the mm-hmm. great things about biking is you can have as many Guinnesses as you want, because yeah. it's like, you're going to burn that off in two minutes. Anyway, yeah, you work so, that right off. Uh, we're, we're enjoying, it's a, it, all of a sudden the sun breaks, because we were bicycling yeah. in a lot of water and a lot of rain, and all of a sudden the mm-hmm. sun broke through the clouds, and I was just having the most pleasant late afternoon in this little village, Waterville, really nice conversations with everybody there. And I go, you know what, Greg? I got to call my mom. The time is right to call her in in, in California. I'm going to real quick go to that public phone and call my mom. So I get up my little phone card thing, and I call my mom. And I'm like, hey, the bike trip's going great. Boy, we're in a town that I love. It's, uh, it's Waterville in County Cary. And she goes, well, you know my dad and my dad's people are from that village. And I go, wait, what? And she goes, yeah, that's where that's where you're from is Waterville that's where in County Kerry. from. Yeah, and I I don't know why I never asked where specifically he was from before, but it was this revelatory, almost like kind of sweetly spiritual moment that I had like gone yeah. back to where they were from, you know. And yeah, I just got I just got a tingle up my spine. That's that's I, I mean I I I I am probably the least uh, uh, likely to believe in that kind of thing, but to but to hear that you were sitting like in the land that you're in the very village that your grandfather came from, and for some reason you were just liking it extra special. Yeah, uh, that's kind of neat. It is right. It's kind of neat. Yeah, I and and the fact that it was totally by accident, uh, and yet who you know it's 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 a, it's a, there's a sweetness to it. Sometimes life gives you sweet moments. And that felt yeah. like a sweet moment where I could look around and be like, wow, it's weird to think my great-grandparents or whatever were walking around this village. And, and uh, uh, you know, it, it's also one of the tragedies of, of Ireland, is you, especially as you're biking on quiet roads, you bike mm-hmm. past rows and rows and rows of ancient stone houses that are abandoned because it's all yeah. the people that died in the potato famine. And Ireland's population, I still think to this day, I might be wrong about this, has never really recovered from the potato famine. So you're still biking past a ton of empty stone houses that are just, no one's ever coming back. Like, no, at this point, no one's going back into that house. So it's just sitting on a hillside. And, uh, uh, but I love that trip with, with Greg. I went on to a career in cartooning. Greg went on to a career uh, as a lieutenant commander of a nuclear submarine for the Navy. So very similar paths, Greg and I, almost identical paths. Uh, I... (laughs) I can draw a cartoon. Greg could launch a series of missiles that could destroy the world. So, you know, almost a virtually identical path, Greg and I, on which way we went. So you're both pretty well used to bombing. (laughs) It's not going to get better than that. So I'm going to say hello, everybody, and welcome to Comic Lab, the show about making comics. (laughs) And making a living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. And I'm his pal Dave Kelly, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of Stripped. And this week's Hour of Comics Advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave, 
Let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. And we want to give a shout out and a huge thanks to our sponsor for this week. Uh, but good folks over at Bonjuro.com, B-O-N-J-O-R-O.com, which Brad and I and Comic Lab and and uh, and uh, ourselves included use Bonjuro on a daily, weekly basis to say thank you, to greet, to onboard new folks that buy our books, buy our original art, join our Patreon. And uh, what happens is when someone joins your Patreon or buys your book, it immediately goes a little boop in your book. Bonjuro app. You grab your phone, you turn around, you say, oh my God, I'm so thankful. You, It means the world to me that you are enjoying the comics enough to jump in on Patreon or buy this book. Thank you so much. Uh, and if you ever need me, here's my email and you can get a discount code at this Bonjuro. Boop. It took you two seconds. But the impact, the impact is amazing yeah. on when I send Bonjuros. I get the longest, e literally the longest emails back because it triggers this flood of emotion. Absolutely. And, and people really respond to the fact that you're calling them by name and you're speaking directly to them. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's really a phenomenal response you get with this. And like Dave says, it's a great way to uh, welcome somebody into being a Patreon backer. Remember, the whole point of Patreon is you're building a community there. Mm -hmm. uh, people are coming for that community. And uh, you're the, you're the community leader and you're personally welcoming. They're, they're going to feel like they want to be part of that community for a longer and longer because they really do feel welcome. They know right. it because you said so, you right. know? So here's the deal. You're going to go over to Bonjuro.com. You can sign up for a 14-day free trial, uh, but that's not special. Uh, that's not a comic lab thing. That's They just give that to everybody. But listen to this. Well, when you decide to sign up, when you decide to go for it, and we think you will, uh, when you join up, there's a coupon field. If you enter Comic Lab April, all one word, yeah. Comic Lab April, you're going to get 20% off your entire life. But keep in mind, depending on when you're listening to this show, you might only have a couple of days to jump in on that. So do the quick right. free trial, see what you like about it. You're going to like it. And then like Brad and I, you'll want to jump in and use Comic Lab April in the coupon code to get 20% off your entire life. And this is our last week with Bonjuro, and we want to say thank you uh, for them to sponsor yeah. us. They have never before sponsored a podcast. They uh, are, enjoy us. And after this, they're never again going to uh, sponsor no, no, one. No. <laughs> Boy, I want to say because they are uh, they are like us, uh, a, a scrappy yeah. uh, band making it work, and it, it is delightful that they um, are appreciative of how well cartoonists and Patreon users are using Bonjuro. They've, they've loved yeah. to see how well it's useful for them. And so we have been really happy to have them on. So jump over to Bonjuro.com, B-O-N-J-O-R-O.com. Fantastic. Dave, I've got a question for you from one of our $5 Patreon backers, and uh, I really want to hear what you've got to say about this because I'm very intrigued. This one comes in from Alexander Loken, who writes, Hi, guys. I'm in the process of starting a new comic strip and have written down over 50 ideas for strips, but... My constant struggle is how to start it. Any tips on the best way to write the first two or three strips? Introducing the characters and the universe without relying on too much exposition and still being funny? Thanks, guys, for making my favorite podcast. Have a great uh, day. All my best. Alexander no Loken from Norway. So we've got, a, we've got a hey, that's fantastic. <laughs> we've got a Norwegian listener who uh, wants this advice. And the good news, Alexander, for you is that neither Brad nor I can do a Norwegian accent, so you will not yeah. be hearing any. Uh, unlike my terrible Irish a minute ago, you will not be hearing any uh, Norwegian <laughs> on the show. So that's that's a boon for you. Well, so to answer this question, Alexander, uh, the the key thing to keep in mind is that if you want someone coming back, which is really what you want, you want them to go either yeah. to click on to strip number two or come back the next next day or the next week. The first thing that has to happen, and this is true with any comic that we do, is that it's got to be good. Uh, yeah. I know that sounds reductive, but before you worry about character moods, character personalities, or building the world out, all of which are valid, valid concerns, the first comics have to be good. Good punchline, yeah. solid construction, trimmed down writing, and crisp and clean. Don't you think, Brad? Yeah. Since you've chosen to do a comic strip, which may or may not have been the best uh, choice if you've got a storyline in it, almost when I hear you using words like universe and stuff like that, it sounds like you might have a storyline. And we've talked about on the show uh, for a storyline uh, uh, type of storytelling, a, 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 your standard comic strip was something that was built for a newspaper. 
and re- and it had a very certain uh, landscape that it that it thrived in. That landscape isn't here anymore. <laughs> and so if you're choosing a comic strip to do a story, you may be making a bad decision. And the good news is, if you're just starting out, uh, we could we could talk you out of it. <laughs> you, this might be better for you to do as a graphic novel that you're posting, uh, or or as a uh, as a comic book. There's a lot of different ways for you to do this uh, other than a comic strip. But we're going to take you at face value. You've decided to do a strip. Mm-hmm. What Dave says is right. Since you've decided to tell this story three or four panels at a time. Those reading experiences individually have to be amazing. They have to be really good. And remember, they have to be so good that somebody jumping in in the middle uh, can read those four panels, understand what's going on, have a good reading experience, and want to come back later. Yes, yes. That means introducing character names and universes is the least of your problems. Right, now, having both of us having said that, though, uh, let's yeah. move on to what you do want to do, which is yeah. you've written 50 uh, comic strip ideas. That's amazing, by the way, because that gives you the Fantastic. chance to edit down. So you are super wise to have written 50. So you've you've gotten 50. Now choose your favorite. I don't know. Let's let's say 10, 12, 15, the, your favorite uh, short versions of those 50. Right. Um, because out of those 50, probably 20 are good. <laughs> yeah. So pick, let's be no, let's be yeah, honest. I'm no. not being mean. That's just the truth. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree with you. Yes, that's that's a smart way to look at it. That there's only a fraction, no matter what the number is, only a fraction are good of those fifty. So yeah. you've uh, you've written fifty. Get it down to your favorites. Now, of those favorites, see if you can identify which ones are revelatory to the characters. Uh, mood, aspirations, themes that you're going to use for that character, um, central tenets of their personality. Uh, what I mean by that is, um, if I was going to write about Brad and I had 50 jokes to choose from about Brad, I would obviously choose the joke that focuses on how handsome he is when he walks into a room. Yes. Because yes. that's, that's Which you know, would you be wanna, a joke. You want to know the. <laughs> I was going with the compliment. Uh, I know you were trying so hard. We can't. What's amazing is we can't last more than 10 seconds before we have to make fun of, even if it's ourselves, we can't even do it. We can't even do it. Uh, I was trying to be kind for once on the show. Anyway, I won't have it. I'll I'll take truth over kindness. What I'm getting at Alexander is like among the 50, you know, narrow it down to the, to the best in terms of humor. That's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, In terms of clarity, in terms of quickness, in terms of uh, the tightness of the writing and the final punch, Uh, get it down to those and then see of those 20, which ones are the most revelatory about the character in terms of their their personality, who they are, what they want to do, where they want to be. Right, Brad? Yeah. Yeah. Take the ones that are the strongest. And and again, like Dave said, I I would take the ones that really have the strongest punchlines uh, at first. Agreed. You know, find Agreed. those, Agreed. and then find which ones, like Dave says, have uh, the the best uh, ways of uh, exploring who those characters are. Now, the rest of what you're talking about, uh, I want you to go back and think about something you've heard me say probably two or three times as this show has evolved, and that is keep your readers on a need to know basis. This is really important in storytelling because uh, because of a lot of reasons, you don't need a whole lot of info dump. You don't need a whole lot of world building. All you need to do is make sure your reader knows just enough just for the enough. next story beat, yes. just enough for the next strip, just yes. enough for the next moment. Uh, now, you can, uh, in certain ways, use the strength of uh, publishing on the web to uh, bolster you a little bit. In other words, you can have an about page that you feature prominently on your site that tells a little bit more about each character. Or you can even have that in the early days of your strip. You can have that right on the front page, very easily accessible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can have that featured in different places in your social media. Right. Uh, for example, if you're using Instagram, which vexes me constantly, uh, you, you, you know, you could pin those highlight uh, uh, stories and you could use that as an about page. Right. right? Think right. about all the ways that you can use. You could use a pinned tweet to uh, to do uh, uh, character exposition. In other words, 
Don't be afraid to use all the different tools that are available to you to help uh, explore and explain who those characters are. I want to compliment you because I did not think of the phrasing, and I really like it. Say just enough to get them to come back or, or yeah. to be intrigued. And that's yes. a, that, a, a, a way that that uh, sprang to my mind was conversation at a party. When you first meet someone, oh, you don't yeah. do the info dump of who you are and what, because then <sighs> you become a, a bore or a self-involved mm -hmm. and like people are like, who is this jerk? What you yeah. do is you just trickle in a little bit of like, oh, yeah, I lived there at one point. And they're yeah. like, oh, you live there? Did you know so-and-so? Right. It's just enough to keep the conversation going. It's <laughs> yeah. not that dissimilar in writing is that you just trickle it in. And by mm -hmm. the way, if some of the pieces are filled in by the readers, Alexander, as you get into the 100, 200 strip, that's OK. That's a, a technique that many authors use to great effect. I always think of Hitchcock in intentionally mm -hmm. leaving a lot of information out so that the reader can in, uh, in self-insert it or insert what they think it should be um, in such a way they become part a part and party of the creation of this story because their mind is filling in the blanks and that's okay not everything yeah. has to be explicitly written out yeah uh, I, I I was just talking about this uh, keeping your readers on a need-to-know basis concept with my uh, storytelling students at UArts and one of the ways that I explained it and I love doing this thanks to my older son Alex He's been, uh, we've been watching as a family, a lot of anime together. And Alex and I just finished up with one that was very popular. Uh, and it was done about 10 years ago called Death Note. Yes. All right. Death, Death Note is about a kid who finds a notebook. And if he writes somebody's name down in the notebook and pictures that person's face, that person will die. By so the way, have you seen the book collections for Death Note? Just as an author, you no, should check them no. out. They're beautifully bound. There's a, Are they? There's one called the Black Edition that is gorgeous. Mm. Uh, I'll show you on FaceTime one day. But anyway, it's a really gorgeous book collection. Sorry to interrupt you. Keep going. <laughs> well, aside from being gorgeous, uh, the thing that they do so well in that animated series is they keep you on a need-to-know basis because yeah. what you find out later on, not only in terms of the notebook, has a lot of rules with the notebook that you're not, they don't dump all these rules on you on day yeah. one, episode one. You get a trickle of rules as you need to know them. Right. Plus the entire show, uh, if you, if you uh, like me, I, I like to think of, of some uh, episodic storytelling as a series of logical statements. If you if you're a fan of logic, you understand what a conditional statement is. It's an if then statement. Mm -hmm. If this happens, then that happens. Mm -hmm. uh, so much of the storytelling in that is a series of if then statements. But you don't get all of your if then statements at the same time. You get parceled out just yeah. what you need yeah, yeah. as the storytelling evolves. Uh there's there, it was a very complicated, uh, complex uh, story, but I was hanging on for every episode. Why? Because I didn't get this info dump of stuff at the beginning. I was kept on a need to know basis. Right. Well, and then I think, Brad, everybody wants to know uh, this this thing from Alexander in Norway, by the way, now that we've answered his his uh, yeah. question. Alexander, I have a question for you because I've yeah. actually never met a Norwegian and I want to ask you this. A long time ago, Sheldon uh, was licensed and translated into Norwegian in a magazine called Tommy Ogtigern Magazine. It was Calvin and Hobbes, but in Norwegian. I don't know why they couldn't call him Calvin. <laughs> maybe maybe uh, be, for religious reasons, Calvin has uh, bad connotations oh, in, in Norway. Maybe, I don't yeah. know. But um, uh, the, the, they called the Calvin and Hobbes Magazine in Norway uh, Tommy and Sheldon was translated. And I had comics that I thought were very American-focused punchlines, if that makes sense. And I've always wondered what the hell those comics translated into in Norwegian. Like, what are the, was, did it become like a joke about lingonberries? I don't know what it, what it became, you know? What what happened? So, Alexander, I, I gotta email you some JPEGs of, of uh, Sheldon translated into Norwegian so you can oh. tell me whether or not these punchlines work at all. I am fascinated to know. Wow, that's fascinating. Who, who did the translating for you? I'm assuming someone who spoke Norwegian. It was the publisher, the publisher in Norway. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like you plugging this into Google oh, Translate. Oh, no, no, no. The, the, they like, it was a nice little licensing contract. Didn't pay a bunch, but it was beer and pizza money. And they, uh, yeah. they licensed Sheldon for Norway and uh, they were translated. 
And uh, they also, because I was doing black and white and Europe very smartly was like, no, 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 we're coloring this. And so yeah. they colored Sheldon and then uh, translated no! it into Norwegian and had a very delightful little Norwegian font. It was very cute. Um, it felt like maybe something that would have been in an Asterix comic, you know, that kind of a font. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, um, anyway, I've never known what the punchlines, what the hell, were, were they funny? Were they weird? <laughs> Did they totally change the whole story? I got to know. I got to know. And Alexander, oh it's, I, I've been dying to ask a Norwegian, so you got to email me separately. <laughs> Well, we will tune in next time when we will find out the answer to that question and many more as Dave goes down his Norwegian uh, wish list. Uh, and Dave, by the way, before we get too far in the show, I want to make sure we give a shout out to uh, Nate Picos. He's got a book coming out on lettering. And uh, if you've heard me say on the show before, uh, I, I think that guy probably is going to forget more about lettering oh than God, I'm yeah. ever going to learn. Whenever I need to, uh, uh, like thoughts on lettering uh, or any anybody to kind of bolster what I'm saying, I point to Nate. Nate's got a book coming out uh, and you can pre-order it. It's coming out through Image Comics, isn't Image it? Image Comics, it's called The Essential Guide to Comic Book Lettering uh, from Image Comics. It should be coming out, I believe it's in October, but you can pre-order it now through all the standard pre-ordering systems. And yeah. I got to say, we don't know Nate. We're not getting any sort of funding from <laughs> Nate on this. Nope. Uh, it, it, this is literally just Brad and I saying, this is one of the uniquely uh, amazing resources in comics, Nate's knowledge of lettering. Yeah. And as far as I know, aside from a couple pages in every How to Make Comics book that you've ever seen, no one's mm -hmm. ever focused a whole book on all the ins and outs of lettering, word balloons, uh, thought bubbles, all that kind of stuff. And, yeah. and Nate really is a master. I don't say that, Joe or lightly. So this is a book you're going to want to get. Yeah, I, I can. I, and by the way, I'll just bolster what Dave said. Uh, not only do we not get any uh, like, uh, you know, money for consideration, uh, they it, call it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I like I have retweeted him a hundred times. I've added him. I, I've, I never get so much as a like. In fact, as far as I know, he thinks I'm a complete cretin. Because <laughs> he, he certainly doesn't engage anything that I ever tweet about him. <laughs> Uh, so he might not even like me, but that doesn't even matter. This guy has it going on when it comes to lettering. And the fact that he's doing an entire book on lettering, uh, I'm, I'm champing at the bit uh, for this thing to come out in October. I, and I'm looking forward to finding out that I might have been wrong about a few things that I've been doing exactly. myself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm ready to learn, quite literally yeah. ready to learn by this book. Yeah. And I'm glad we got a little snippet of I'm glad we got a little snippet there of Brad Geiger, spurned lover. I have brought Nate flowers. <laughs> I've yeah. I've invited oh Nate to God. over six dances at the high school and he still refuses my advances. Hmm. I <laughs> I gave him the nicest comment. I mean, I, I the nicest things you could say. And then I wait to see if he's going to put the little heart. Nothing. Nothing. He never gives me nothing. Oh, you just see Brad like kicking a small stone. Oh, he won't say a word to me. Oh, why won't Nate return my love? Oh, I'm Brad Geiger. Oh. Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. All right, Brad, our next question comes in from patreon.com slash comic lab from Mindy Indy, and Mindy Indy writes, Dave and Brad, can you talk about when it's good to show work in progress versus wait till the whole thing is finished to show it? So, Brad, work in progress. We've never actually talked about this. The sort of teaser images that one could share on social media or on your blog or on your yeah. live journal or on your Tumblr or on your MySpace. <laughs> um, on your MySpace, yes. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Brad, when do you how, what are some of the parameters you use to decide when it's too early, too too revelatory to share work in progress? 
Yeah, that's that's an interesting question because when I read that question, it's uh, my first response was never. <laughs> I don't ever share work in progress on twi- on uh, on Twitter or, or any of the social media I use, uh, just because I don't think that is a really super strong post to share uh, sketches of unfinished work. Uh, now, every now and again, I will share like a time lapse of, of me working on something. I'll share a time lapse video and technically that's work in progress. Uh, but I don't, I don't do work in progress posts on social media. Now I will share that for my Patreon backers, uh, because a, that's a, that's a nice post that I can use to make sure that I'm posting often for my Patreon backers and B My Patreon backers are a super condensed group of people who are really into what I'm doing. Therefore, it stands to reason that they're going to be a little bit more interested than my Twitter followers, for example, in seeing a sketch of something I'm working on right now. So uh, I don't share work in progress on social media at all, but I do think those make good Patreon posts. Uh, I will super agree with you. I have a couple of quiet little rules about this that uh, um, I've, I don't think we've ever spoken about on the show. So it's it's fun to share them. So like yeah. you, I feel like the folks on Patreon or for either Sheldon or Drive have sort of paid because their interest is beyond casual. So they want to yeah. see how the sausage is made. Right. And so yeah. if there's ever a, a sort of um, revealing work in progress that shows you the steps that it takes to make X looks eventually like Y, then that's kind of fun for people to see. Like, look, these are the steps in Photoshop we have to do to make this look the way it looks. Or the uh, here's a here's a photo of how it's drawn in ink before it's scanned, cleaned up and brought into color. So here, look, you get to see what no one else because to see that's the perfect stuff for patreon right and then mm-hmm. i will occasionally um do that on twitter uh, now for some reason never on instagram but i will occasionally do that on twitter with the mm-hmm. idea that it's also saying hey there's more of this kind of stuff on patreon so if you're into this yeah. kind of thing uh especially um, work in progress that shows process i think those are the best ones to share my uh, second rule and this is the only other one that i have for it is that uh you can't ever be um uh ruinous of the story by early reveals um you don't ever want to there's a word for that it's called spoiler that's what the kids are calling it when they say don't post those whips don't post those whips it might be a spoiler they're gonna say (laughs) the reason i'm laughing is i legit couldn't remember the word spoiler and you called me out on it when you said the word ruinous i'm like he's lost he's he's in the deep water now (laughs) no no certainly david you do not want to be ruinous oh brad why didn't i become a commander of a nuclear submarine i should have gone the other route oh greg i chose the wrong path podcasting is not for me (laughs) yes yes you you don't want to post a spoiler (laughs) or as i like to call it a detailer image which might be ruinous to future storytelling that's what you say when you can't think of a word oh god ruinous oh what a chump anyway uh yes so my my two sort of guiding lights is patreon gets it gets if 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 someone's going to get it it's going to go to patreon for the most part Mm -hmm. And then uh, just don't do a spoiler, uh, even if it's for that page, frankly. Um, I have had certain things where if it's the final panel, don't share that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. let them enjoy the page as the page. Because in a way, even though they're on Patreon and they want to see how the sausage is made, you still want to enjoy the page when the page comes, you know? Yeah. So uh, you know what I'm saying about that, Brad. Some images oh, yeah. are a little bit more revelatory as a spoiler or ruinous, as the kids are saying on the street. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, others. if you if you are going to make one of those, if you are going to make one of those kind of posts, at least do what the kids do. And at the top, just say ruinous production sketch alert. <laughs> just at the top, put it in caps, put it in caps, ruinous <laughs> sketch alert. And then everybody will know to avoid it if they don't want to be. Yeah, it's, it's just it's just a quick little text that lets everybody know ruinous preemptive image sharing. Uh, and so that lets people know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've tackled Mindy and these questions. Mindy, I hope that I hope that answers it for you for your own potential ruinous uh, image sharing on a preemptive basis. So, Brad, one other topic I want to talk about, and this is just a quick line item. 
I saw a fairly long story in the New York Times tackling cartooning, which always sort of mm. piques my interest anytime the old uh, gray lady, or she's not the gray, is New York Times the gray lady or is Wall Street Journal she the gray lady? She is the gray lady, yes. So what, when anytime the New York Times uh, tackles cartooning, it always kind of piques my interest. And uh, they had a, a a feature on mainly political cartoonists, Matt Boers of the Nib being one, uh, talking about how, oh, they're finding terrible trouble in Facebook is censoring their posts. And the reason I want to mention it is it's, oh, Oh, surprise, surprise. Another example of when you are on someone's platform, you are beholden to whatever their whims are. Yeah. And I know we sound like the two old men saying this, but um, uh, the First Amendment rights of free speech, again, are only intended for government control of what you can and cannot say, not private walled gardens. So when you post on Instagram, when you post on Facebook, when you post even potentially on Patreon and stuff like that, you are beholden to whatever their corporate whims are in terms of what you can and cannot say. So uh, it it just goes back to the, the thing that Brad and I say all the time is really try to own and control your own audience rather than letting a platform own and control your audience. Well, and and to, to 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 talk about this a little bit deeper, explain to me now. When you say that Facebook is censoring their posts, uh, what the story said was that, for example, uh, uh, their algorithm doesn't understand irony. So it, if they it doesn't post understand something, satire too. Yeah, yeah, satire yeah. and irony. So if they post something on a certain topic, the algorithm doesn't know uh, that that. It, whether they're supporting that topic or making fun of that topic, right? Right, right. So in this case, I think they were making fun of alt-right white supremacists, rightly so. And uh, the algorithm did not know that they were making fun of it in a satirical way, that they were right. take, basically taking the piss out of it. They thought that they were being promoting of it. And so yeah. um, it, is, it is, that, by the way, is one of the classic problems of satire in print, but... Um, <sighs> Because <laughs> some of your readers don't know too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But again, it I to me it just goes to the fact that Facebook at this point is covering their ass in the hopes of not getting caught up into more scandal because they uh, rightly have caused a lot of their own problems. But the problem for these cartoonists, these political cartoonists, is that now they have to be like, no, no, this one's okay. No, no, this please don't take this down. And and once again, it you're beholden to the platform, right? And as we've said a hundred times on this show, uh, you can, if you build your community on somebody else's property, you've got to be prepared to watch that being torn down or destroyed or redirected without your involvement. You, in other words, there's two different ways that you can use social media. And and we've talked about using them both uh, very, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, fervently here on the show. Because uh, you will hear me say you do have to use social media as a as a publisher. You got to be willing to uh, put your entire comic on social media so people can read it. Mm-hmm. That's that's not building your community there, <laughs> but but it is definitely putting uh, taking a much more uh, hands on approach to social media than putting a link and saying come back to my website the way we used to do in two thousand and five. Right, but. Uh, there's there's that on one hand, and then on the other hand, there is using social media to do your community building and direct people to the other things that you're doing, like on your website and Patreon and Kickstarter and so on and so forth. The better choice of the two, or where, I guess the better way to say it is you should be putting more energy into using social media to build your own community elsewhere. Yes. yes. And less into trying to build that community on the social media. Uh, uh, or at least going in with your eyes open saying, listen, I know I'm building everything on Instagram, for example. And if I'm going to do that, I'm going to have to take the good and the bad that comes along with that. Uh, and in this case, it's Facebook, and they're having to deal with that. Uh, I'm a big proponent of using social media uh, as a uh, publishing tool. In other words, I always put my comic as so it can be read on social media. I'm not a big fan of actually building a community there right. uh, because <laughs> it can be taken away from me, especially as somebody who does not save for work. Uh, I can I can face uh, at any day, especially from one of these platforms. I can face at any day uh, 
them saying, just like Tumblr did in the snap of a finger, we're not doing not safe for work anymore. And it all drains out. And I've got uh, I've got some real quick footwork to do. Uh, by the way, uh, has anybody uh, gone to a Tumblr site in the last year and a half or so? You no, haven't been reading it, my it, Tumblr? Brad, no, I'm hurt. I don't read your freaking Tumblr. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I don't have totally, a Tumblr. They uh, slit their own throats, but you got to be careful. You can't build your community there. Yeah, and one of the best examples that constantly surprises me, actually, is Burke Brothers' decision to have Bloom County be hosted almost yeah. exclusively on Facebook. Which, yes. granted, they're not going to take down Bloom County, right? We we all know that. But it just seems to me like the the all the weight is being given to Facebook and not to Bloom County by not— he has the money. Just spend a few thousand, get a website built, yeah. throw it up, have an archive. You're you'll be done and right as rain in a, in a week, you know. Uh, and so it surprises me that he does it that way. I mean, you go with God. It works for him, I guess. But uh, I feel like there's a better way to do it than that. And so I'm constantly surprised by it. And that's why we keep talking as we talked a couple of shows back about late stage social media and, and just knowing out of common sense that things are cyclical. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we're hitting a certain part of the cycle where if you as a cartoonist don't have your own website, this is the time to start building it right now while the pressure's off. <laughs> I think it's a really good time for you to have a, uh, be working on your website because I do foresee in the next couple of years, we're going to see a swing back and a website is going to be your best bet at uh, uh, navigating those new waters that we're all going to be swimming in. And, you know, I am constantly surprised by the number of cartoonists who have built their career largely on a social media platform and have high hundreds of thousands or millions of followers and their Patreon has 110 people. And yeah. part of that is the algorithm knows anytime you're linking out to Patreon and they the algorithm squashes store links. It squashes Patreon links because mm -hmm. it doesn't want it to be seen as it wants the the algorithm wants it to be entertainment to get people to come back. It doesn't want to be grabby with like, hey, you got to support me, too. Right. And so the algorithm Even more feels so like, they want to keep you on that site. They don't right, want you exactly. to go to Patreon. They want to keep you on Facebook. So you keep looking at Facebook's ads. Exactly. So my larger point is you might be surprised that the income levels for Brad and I, who have built much smaller audiences that we own and control, are significantly higher than some of these cartoonists that have followers in the millions on social media. And oh. when it blows my mind. I'm like, why are you doing it this way? And I get it. They have built their own career. So again, it's, it's to their taste and that's fine. I just think yeah. there is more danger in letting Instagram control your audience or Facebook control your audience and, and not being able to link out, you know? Right. No, absolutely. And and for you as a creator, that's something you've got to you've got to keep an eye on. From from Facebook's point, just as a, as an aside, it's a little bit it's that old story that Facebook keeps coming up with and that is when they make decisions like that, when they write an algorithm that squashes something that has an editorial opinion, uh they're acting like a publisher, right? right? But right. they don't want anybody to know they're a publisher. They'll insist until the end of time they're a platform. They're saying, oh, no, we're just a platform. But when they make editorial decisions like that, they are being a publisher. But if they ever get tagged as a publisher, then they have to follow the rules of a publisher. <laughs> and everything they've been able to get away with so far has been by staying as far away from that publisher label as, as possible. That's the one part of this. I mean, everything that Dave and I are saying is, listen, as an independent cartoonist, you need to be aware of this and you need to protect yourself and don't build on somebody else's property. Uh, that's the one thing that Facebook really is kind of egregious about is, is they really are acting as a publisher. Uh, there's nothing you're ever going to be able to do about that. No, they're they're no. clearly in the wrong. You're never going to. That, that, that nothing's ever going to come of it. Uh, right, so right. <laughs> just another reason to start building on your own property. Exactly. Well, and so uh, let's jump into one last question, Brad, uh, to, to round out the show, I think, for this week. Yeah. Um, so this uh, question comes in uh, from Death uh, over on uh, Patreon.com slash Comic Club. So always nice when Death writes in. Oh, um, death, <laughs> death at our door once again. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so the question is, Brad and Dave, is there a formula to knowing how much to add for shipping when doing a Kickstarter? And I have a couple of thoughts I can jump oh. on, on first on this one, Brad, if you don't yeah, mind. I'll, yeah, I'll jump that, in right take away. That. 
So, Death, the, the thing you want to do is, uh, as Brad and I have said before, we have been longtime users of Indicia or some folks, Stamps.com. I think one bought the other. Stamps.com bought Indicia yeah, a few years back. Yeah. So I in keep the US, using Indicia, but Stamps.com keeps showing up on my bank rec records. Me too. <laughs> so I'm I think like, it's the same thing. I, I always feel like this. I didn't choose this involvement. No, I signed up to Indicia, yeah. not Stamps.com. Anyway, uh, in the U.S., for these for those overseas, there are a couple of a third-party um basically software companies that have uh, mm -hmm. shipping, uh, consumer-friendly shipping apps. And uh, Indici is one of them. And they have negotiated a reduced postal rate in the U.S. postal system uh, because it saves them time and trouble to have you print your own labels at home, right? And so uh, we use them as independent operators to do a lot of our own shipping. And you, one mm -hmm. of the things that you can do is you can do sort of pretend shipments to, to Philadelphia, to Denmark, yeah. to Alexander in Norway, to Australia. Australia, and you sort of get the prices before you start the um, the uh, the actual process of the Kickstarter. So here's what I'll do. Let's say I'm kickstarting an imaginary book. I know the book weighs two pounds. I know the book is eight inches by eight inches, and I know it's one inch thick, right? Who cares about the dimensions? You just need to know that I know the dimensions. I know the weight. I can then right. figure out what packaging I need to put the book in, right? And then, so that's one price. Let's just say that's 70 cents per box or a dollar per box, whatever it's going to be. So I, I write that down on my little spreadsheet. And then I know that my shipping to the U.S. of that package by media mail will be $3.50. I write that down. To Canada, it'll be $25. I write that down. To Oceania, Australia, New Zealand, you know, that kind of thing, it'll be $35. I write that down. Europe, it'll be $30. I write that down. Well, you get where I'm going here is that I make these little notes. Yeah. And then I tend to include somewhere between $25 and $0.50 cents, uh, for wastage, for package that gets, gets dented, can't be used, that kind of stuff. Just a little bit. Not a lot. I actually like to charge exactly what it costs me to ship frankly um yeah but with a little tiny bit uh just for 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 cushion and then um i write down so i, I add up the packaging how much it costs to ship to these different countries so now i know it's four dollars and fifty cents to ship to the u.s blank, yep. blank, 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 and you get where i'm going with this and then it's basically a big spreadsheet now if someone orders two books here's what it's going to cost if they get the two books plus the sticker plus the magnet this is what it's going to cost and so that's how i do it brad how about you how do you forecast your indicia shipping no, I, I do exactly what you're talking about. And then I, I make sure that I'm adding that shipping cost estimate onto what my person is pledging. So if they right. pledge $10 and they're living in the UK, they're going to end up, uh, 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 you know, doing a transaction for like $35 or $40 because it's going to be their $10 pledge and whatever they're going to include for shipping. So you right. got to make sure that's an extra on your uh, on your Kickstarter, so that so that it knows to apply that extra charge. But I do exactly what Dave did. In fact, I'm surprised we both do it the same thing, same <laughs> way, because I've never talked about it to you. But yeah, I've never talked about it with you either. Yeah. And there's a couple, you know, there, there's a couple of rules to know that only come from experience, which is. If I have a level that has all books, great. I can send media mail, no problem. As soon as I yeah. start to include tchotchkes, non-media mail, yeah. then it has to go either first class or priority mail. Just some things you need to know in case the postal inspector opens up the package and goes, wait a minute, these aren't books. This is a bunch of, of I don't know, uh, stuffy, stuffed animals. You know, you can't send this media mail. And so yeah. uh, you just got to know what the parameters are. And, and by the way, one thing you can do, especially after COVID's over, just go up to a postal desk and say, if I want to send these things, can these be sent media mail? If I want to send these things, can these be sent first class? They'll tell you, right. and Indicia and Stamps.com will also tell you too. So there's some great resources. I will say it takes longer than you want to, to give to it, to have to figure this out. Beth and I always set aside a half an hour, an hour to figure it out because <laughs> we've learned it's very easy to make mistakes. So you got to go slow and talk to one another as you're doing yeah. it. And then another yeah. thing is if you do make mistakes, you can't recover from it later on. You can't, after a Kickstarter's over, go, hey, I found out that it actually cost me $50 to ship that to Australia, not nine cents. Can I have $49 from you real quick? And then the Australian's yeah. like, uh, no, wait a minute, you charged me nine cents. Well, you can't now ask for $49, right? So, And they're yeah, right to say you can't, it. So, you can't do that. Yeah, you've got to have it clear up front. Um, and just always expect shipping to Canada, surprisingly expensive, even though shipping to Alaska should be the same, uh, you know, geographical extension. But, um, anyway, uh, good luck with it. That's a great way to do it, but make sure you get it right. Take it slow and, uh, and do keep a nice spreadsheet. 
uh, of, of different regions, different countries, and uh, what it costs you to do these different classes. Any other last minute thoughts on that one, Brad? No, I, I, other than other than the fact that uh, you are going to, as we're going forward, uh, it just as we're talking about shipping, as we're going forward, uh, we're going to have to start thinking more and more about insuring our packages too, like uh, taking out insurance on the package. I, I, Dave, I was telling you before the show, I've had books uh, that I sent to Amazon to be uh, uh, distributed. I lost about 50 books right now that are completely lost in the system. <laughs> and I'm, I know I'm never oh. seeing those books again, right? Oh, yeah. uh, we're going to have to, and, and, and I'm going to make a note uh, because I honestly don't, I was, as you were talking, I had Indicia up and I was just uh, going through and uh, trying to see if I could do that. It doesn't look like it's something you can just very easily do, but in, in wait, wait, what are you asking shows, trying to do easily? I, I missed what you were saying. What, what? Adding insurance. Oh, to adding your packages. insurance. No, not to media mail. Uh, one of the things no, about media mail. But I'm even mail, looking at priority mail right now. Like I'm doing a test package. I can't uh -huh. just click and add insurance the way it's FAQ said that I could. Oh. So there's something we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna maybe follow that up in a in a pro tips. Well, a worthwhile follow up that I should mention is one of the reasons uh, the sort of trade off with media mail. It is cheap as dirt. You can send a book yes. three thousand miles within the U S. and it costs three dollars. I mean, try to send anything else yep. that weighs two, three, four pounds at three dollars. You can't. Media mail is an amazing rate, and I'm so glad that they've maintained it. But. Uh, there is a wastage and spoilage thing with media mail is that one out of a hundred packages will just straight up get lost. They don't care. Yep. It's like the, the rate goes first priority mail goes out. Then first class mail goes out. Then the chickens that get sent to a farmer in Iowa go out <laughs> and then media mail, <laughs> yeah. like media mail is like bottom of the barrel. If there's room on the truck, quite literally, if there's room on the truck, they will throw media mail yeah. on. Otherwise it's, it's slow boated. Um, and so, uh, you just got to know that it, it, there is a one in a hundred chance that that package Package, which for the postal service is actually fairly high. It used to be anyway. Uh, mm -hmm. But Brad, I personally feel like there are brighter days in the immediate future for the U.S. postal system. I think there's, I think there's about to be some, some uh, broomage uh, sweeping out the dust of the old <laughs> U.S. postal service, and we're going to get rid of Louis DeJoy. Thank God. It it better happen fast because I am furious over losing that many books. And and like you go to the USPS.com and you fill out a missing package claim and it's very official, Dave. You you got to give them a lot of information about this box. Whether it was, <laughs> right. You got to tell them whether it was brown or whether it was blue, whether you had books in it or whether you had, you know, you got to give them all kinds of information. I hit the button. I'm like, doggone it. Now they're going to know. They're going to know they're dealing with Brad Kiger now. And they've lost my <laughs> books. Then the next morning I get an email that says your case has been resolved with an exclamation point. Your case has been resolved. I opened that fucking email and it says we can't find it. <laughs> That's not resolved. That's not resolved. That's <laughs> I knew you couldn't find it when I sent out the goddamn information. That's oh not goodness. resolving anything. Brad, Brad, calm down. Your doctor, he talked about this. You can't do this to yourself. <laughs> Your case has been resolved. The resolution is we messed up. That's the result. Um, I will say this. It, it, when, whenever no I've physically gone to the Postal Service to talk to a uh, to ask questions about certain mail classes or how to do this or how to do that, you want to find the oldest person at that post office because working 20, 30 years at the post office, they know every nuance of postal classes and stuff, right? However, yep. you will be talking to a person who is dead inside on their soul level in terms of like... Yes. The way you send it as you do this package, because they they don't care anymore. They've done the same rote task for 40 years yep. and they just want to retire. They just want to retire, you know? Yeah. And, and God love them. I, they've, they've earned that retirement. They have. But, uh, <laughs> there is a unique sort of beatdown, though, that you get from working in the Postal Service, I think, for that yes. long, is that it's just your soul a little bit like leaves your body. <laughs> The one thing that we can say, though, is that we are still filled with joy in our hearts for the job that we do here week after week. And that's because we get to share this time with you. And at the end of which, we get to say that you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. You know what? That was a really warm uh, That was a goodbye, wonderful Brad. transition. That was really <laughs> nice. 
<laughs> you I'm turned a great it around because I was sad about your missing package, and now I'm feeling good oh, about the world. No, I, well, thanks for reminding me. I got. <laughs> I got to tell you, your host, your host, have been my friend Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. And my good friend, Dave Kellett, the co-director of Stripped and the cartoonist of Sheldon at SheldonComics.com and Drive at DriveComic.com. And I don't want to give a ruinous, preemptive uh, bit of information that might uh, uh, damage your enjoyment, but I will say the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And this episode was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. And a special thanks going out to our sponsor, Bonjuro at bonjuro.com. Don't forget, if you try that free trial and you like it, and we know you're Gonna, you can use the coupon code Comic Lab April to get twenty percent off for life. And a thank you, B O N J O R O dot com. You're gonna want to check them out. And I will say, uh, if you love Comic Lab, you can rate and review the show over on Apple Podcasts, and you may hear your review featured on a future episode like this response that we got, believe it or not, from a Bonjoro. I'm not kidding when I say you get the nicest emails from when you send out Bonjuros. Uh, this comes in, I won't say the name, but it says, thanks Dave. I discovered Webcomics Weekly during a multi-year emotional dumpster fire starting in 2008-2009. It was the worst period of my life ever. I had episodes 1 through 80-ish saved on my iPad and drove them all to the digital wheels fell off. Lost track of you guys for a few years, and now it's 2021. And who did I stumble upon again in my time of need during the thing that saved my sanity in the past? And with a 200-episode archive, I am unbelievably <laughs> grateful to you and Brad for being there every time life tries to stomp me flat. And I'm equally grateful that this time around, I have the ability to give back to you guys on Patreon in even a small way. And so I got to tell you, that really warmed my heart. And it was especially nice that uh, it came as a response to a Bonjuro scent. Uh, and so I'm going to say Comic Lab is made possible on, by your support on Patreon.com slash Comic Lab. So we'll go ahead and say that twice. Patreon.com slash Comic Lab. You know what I'm looking forward to finally getting, I, I've had one haircut in the last 18 months. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting rid of this right here. Uh, because you look like grandpa and the monsters. Yeah. <laughs> and I cannot get it to lay down. That really specifically looks like grandpa and the monsters. Do you remember his hair curl? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I loved his hair curl. A stylist had him sitting in a chair for 15 minutes to get his hair to do that. And your hair immediately goes <laughs> boing. Yunk. Yoink. Ladies, I'm Brad Geiger with my hair. All right, here we go. Hoyman, Hoyman, you got to drink the formula, Hoyman. I liked how he was a Jewish vampire. It just tickled me. I, that whole show uh, was a really, uh, like, um, they took the best, like, four vaudevillians they could find, and they're like, let's put them in makeup. Let's go nuts. Let's go nuts.